Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Khalees, yep. did you vote today? I absolutely did. Today Early this morning. Nice. <laughs> today is the Springfield preliminary election, and later in the show, the NEPM News Department's Adam Frenier will give us a rundown of the candidates for mayor of Springfield, one of the three cities where voting is happening today in the Commonwealth. In addition to the primary, today is what we are calling Farm Stand, a coordinated day of giving to support the Massachusetts Farm Resiliency Fund. Ten days after the July 10th floods that inundated farms in the 413, the Healy Driscoll administration held a press conference at Mountain View Farm in East Hampton. Here is the governor. Today we're announcing a fund that we created working with the United Way. It's a, it's a fund where the public, where folks can go on, make donations online uh, to a fund that is going to provide direct relief to farmers who've been severely impacted by last week's flooding. We know that the most important thing right now is to get money out, direct aid to farms right now who need it to clean up, fix their property, meet payroll, you know, and, and actually purchase food. I mean, because they were about to harvest, their harvest is completely, their crops are completely ruined. And we know that, you know, there's people in Massachusetts, Team Massachusetts, people want to find ways to pitch in and help. So working with the Lieutenant Governor, we set up this fund, uh, working with the United Way, easy way for people to go online, make a contribution to help our farms. We've got at least 75 farms who, you know, have incurred at least 15, 20 million dollars worth of damage. And it's, it's appropriate for people across Massachusetts to step up and find ways to support the people who feed our families. The governor's office announced that this fund would be a partnership between philanthropic organizations and private foundations. The philanthropic organization is the United Way of Central Mass, and the private foundation is the Community Foundation of Western Mass. And joining us today in making a farm stand, which is what we're calling it, I wanted to call it Let Us Help. L E T T U. Yeah, no, 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 no. Tim Garvin, that is the the exact like expression. Tim, Tim he Garvin put his hands on his head and, and sighed and deeply. Sighed, and that was what I. Yeah. That was the expression I had when Monty was like, "We should call it this." I, I'm probably thinking, "I wish I had come up with that." <laughs> <laughs> Joining us today in making a farm stand, which is the name we decided to call it, is the. For the uh, Farm Resiliency Fund is Tim Garvin, the CEO of the United Way of Central Mass, and Megan Burke, the president and CEO of the Community Foundation of Western Mass. And we will also be joined shortly by uh, the lieutenant governor herself, Kim Driscoll, to talk about this fund, why it was created, where the idea came from. It'll be interesting to hear the lieutenant governor's perspective on that. Um, but from Tim Garvin, from the United Way of Western Mass's perspective, what was that call like when the governor's office said, we think we need to do something and we'd like you to be a part of it? 6.05, Monday night, the 17th, one week after the flooding. I'm walking my dog. I'm home from work and I get a text. Tim, we're working on a really urgent matter we think you can help Massachusetts with. We think you can help Massachusetts with. Is there any bigger or bolder ask? And you immediately... If the president calls and says the U.S. or well, the head of the U.N. says, help the world! But and and we would say other, yes to that. And I know that. I know my, my great colleague, Megan, would do the same. Um, Indeed. We, I, I answered the call, and I thought it was brilliant. The understanding that... Um, Government needs to take a little bit of time to get all their ducks in a row, but private philanthropy can be nimble, strategic, and rapid. Uh, and working with government, philanthropy, and business to set up a fund that would immediately respond, and we said yes. That was Monday the 17th. You've already had the governor on talking about on the 20th. Within three days, we had that fund set up. 
<laughs> that's that, so fast. <laughs> that is pretty fast. And uh, as we know, the ship of state can be a very slow moving one. And two of the partners that are involved in this farm resiliency fund that the governor's office set up are the United Way of Central Mass and the Community Foundation of Western Mass. Megan Burke, tell us about your involvement in this governor's fund and how, how you became involved. Happy to. So it was actually Friday before the Monday that I had a conversation with our dear friend Kristen Aleko in the Western Mass office for the governor. Um, we actually reached out to her and we said, we understand that there are farmers throughout our region who are suffering, who've been impacted by the floods, and we'd like to know how we can help. Um, we'd also heard that there were some efforts underway to think about a partnership, and we wanted to make sure that the governor knew that we were available to do whatever we could to make sure funds could get to the farmers in our region. Um, and I was very pleased when uh, I was invited to join a call on the Tuesday after Tim's Monday evening <laughs> conversation. This timeline is so truncated. I love this. It's beautiful. I mean, it, the immediacy of it is very in, fast. important. Yes. But yes. like, it's also like the fact that even with like government and, and all of these things happening, this happened so swiftly, like yes. days. Yep. <laughs> and I think on, on the Tuesday call, that was a, bringing together a much bigger group that did involve business, private philanthropy, the government, and farmers to say, what's this going to look like and how can we make this work? That is one of the partner agencies for the Farm Resiliency Fund, the newish president and CEO of the Community <laughs> Foundation of Western Mass, Megan Burke. And I've asked Tim Garvin the same question. I will now ask the lieutenant, lieutenant governor, governor, who uh, uh, is, is part of the, the, the brain trust in making sure that this farm fund was started. Tell us from your perspective uh, in government why you decided you needed to go to a private uh, philanthropy and a private foundation to make something happen rather than the levers of state. Thank you, Lieutenant oh, Governor, hi, for joining hi. us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So so good to be with you. Hi, Khalees. How are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. You know, I think both Governor Healy and myself were just so moved by the devastation that we saw uh, on some of our family-owned farms, farms that had been run by um, family members for generations, the storms and the water flooding hit just as folks were ready to harvest. It was the worst possible time and felt like we needed to act as quickly as possible. It was really clear that crop insurance wasn't gonna play a role for many of our farmers and that without swift, flexible resources, that we may not have the farms that we've relied on for generations. And that was the genesis for the Farm Resiliency Fund and we've coupled it with some state resources, like several weeks later, we were able to bring that to bear. But this farm was really the difference maker. And we're so grateful the way the community has come together uh, throughout Massachusetts, not just in Western or Central Mass, where you, know, you can see the farm impacts right in front of your face, but from people who just see the strong connection between the food we put on the table, the food you eat in a restaurant, the food in our cafeterias, and who's behind all of that work. So it's been pretty gratifying. Was this a thing that you were considering putting together after the series of frosts anyhow, and the floods kind of expedited, expedited that? That's the word I want, expedite. <laughs> you know, I think the weather has just been such, um, and, and climate change, the weather impacts related to the climate crisis has certainly been front and center. Like we had a drought last summer. We had a freeze early this year that knocked out a lot of our fruit bearing trees. Um, we had this incredible amounts of water um, that most people read about Vermont and what happened in Montpelier. 
and didn't realize the Connecticut River Valley was just flooded out in, in parts of our Commonwealth as well. And um, for us, you know, this is also about future proofing, right? It's an immediate response for sure to help the folks who are in crisis, but how do we think about protecting our spaces, future proofing the type of agriculture that we know we rely on now and frankly are gonna need to rely on even more going forward. We're calling today's broadcast Farm Stand. It's in conjunction with other radio partners from our alma mater at WRSI, where they can explicitly encourage you to go and donate. But we, being a nonprofit uh, radio station, we can tell you to find more information about the Farm Resiliency Fund at NEPM.org, where you'll find a link to the logo for the Farm Resiliency Fund and learn more about it and see if you are inspired to donate. Um, Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll, whose office with the Governor Moore Healy, put this fund together. Um, We've heard so many stories, and I've talked to Congressman McGovern about this. I've talked to uh, Senator Joe Comerford about this. It seems to me, we talked to the USDA about this. Mm -hmm. As a citizen, it's frustrating to me that the, the ship of state is so slow moving with this to the point where a fund needed to be created. Was Were you and your office disappointed to say that the USDA was going to offer loans but not grants, that MEMA was not going to recommend to FEMA, the Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency, not going to recommend to FEMA, the federal agency, that this was a meriting federal disaster relief? I think it definitely caused us to, you know, we're still in our first year here, but caused us to recognize that the current regulations that are in place uh, that tied to FEMA, right? The current way people get insurance uh, to protect themselves, whether it's a farm or a home, right? We've had lots of weather. We're, the governor's in Lemonster right now with all kinds of concerns tied to what just happened there. That this is happening more frequently and the current structures and regulatory environment that we have is not meeting the moment for things that are happening much more frequently. I will say the state did stand up a $20 million fund. Now it was several weeks later, um, but that's actually pretty quick for state government. (laughs) And so it will work in dovetail with the Farm Resiliency Fund. And there's still things that, you know, the ability to raise local dollars uh, within Massachusetts can, can support that frankly state resources can't. We have to, this is taxpayer dollars. So we have to be more careful with how we spend it, more accountable for it. Um, and this farm resiliency fund was critical for individuals who were like, I'm laying off all my staff on a farm because I don't have resources. So we needed it quickly. We needed to make sure we could get dollars in the in the hands of people who were growing the food and working on the farms. And hopefully that can be a method toward, um, you know, some of the, the, the more resilient dollars the state was able to come in with, if that makes sense. But yeah, I think we, ought, we, gotta re, we have to relook at when there's a crisis, what we're able to respond and what systems are we building to ensure we're, we're better caring for the places we care about that are going to be impacted by climate. We're going to take a little break on this farm stand, talking about the Massachusetts Farm Resiliency Fund, which is administered by the United Way of Central Mass and the Community Foundation of Western Mass. It was instigated by the Healy Driscoll administration. And we're joined by the president and CEO of the United Way of Central Mass, the president and CEO of the Community Foundation, and the lieutenant governor herself. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. We're joined by Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll, Tim Garvin, President and CEO of the United Way of Central Mass, and Megan Burke, 
this is the president and CEO of the Community Foundation of Western Mass, to talk about the Massachusetts Farm Resiliency Fund and the farm stand we're making today. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> All right. What? <laughs> oh, I have to mute my computer. See, that's what I get when I'm trying to talk to the lieutenant governor <laughs> off the air. And then I was trying to, look. I'm trying to get We're pulling back the veil here. I was holding up the computer laptop like this so that Tim Garvin and Megan Burke can wave to the lieutenant governor on our laptops. We're not coordinated enough that where they can see each other here. Um, and then I, you know, long Limits story. To long, Limits to technology. Um, <laughs> one question that I have for you, lieutenant governor, is uh, have you been hearing the first round of checks have gone out? We're going to talk a little bit more specifically about that in just a little bit. Um, but what are you hearing in the governor and lieutenant governor's office from the farmers who've received these checks? I mean, I think we're hearing a tremendous amount of gratitude. Um, our farmer community, I think, feels heard, uh, feels that we are trying to meet the moment we're in with the needs they have. And I just think there's a lot of gratitude the way people came together. This wasn't, I mean, the governor and I were happy to lean in and help here. And thankfully, Tim and Megan, we have outstanding partners, uh, and Ashley Randall from MDAR, like others who really came together as swiftly as possible. But the strength in all of this is the way that just the community members responded. Our farmers said they needed help. They don't want to ask for help. This is a really proud group of individuals. They just want to work on their farms and return a product that we all can enjoy and hopefully make a little bit of money so they can take care of their families out of this. That's the really inspiring part for us. So. We're hearing gratitude. We're hearing from farmers who feel like um, they're appreciated and they can't wait to get back to work so they can go back to doing what they love, which is growing food, um, you know, producing um, the sorts of things that they know people rely on every day in Massachusetts and throughout New England. That's my sense. And I, maybe Tim and Megan have more on that, but yeah. victory is how we came together. Like Team Massachusetts, <laughs> score one point. <laughs> Tim Garvin from the... Oh. Oh, United Lieutenant way. Governor, this is like a 14-0 victory right now. <laughs> this is much more than one point. And I, I think the story that we heard at the governor's press conference last Thursday from Farmer Jim and his family, he was the last speaker, and he was so choked up he had to stop. And it wasn't because of the money. It was because of the outpouring of support that farms and farmers were recognized, not just as an important economic driver of our state, but as the people who produce the nourishment that feeds all of us. And it was the most beautiful moment. And Megan, I know you've been in philanthropy all, uh, not quite as long as I have, I'm really old. <laughs> but um, rarely do you see that immediate impact and that direct, what we did affected this family and all of the people here. It was perhaps the most beautiful moment I've had in working in the United Way in 17 years. It was incredibly powerful. And to, to hear from Jim at Hollis Hill Farm to say, you know, the, the weather this year has just taken the wind out of his sails was his expression. And he admitted farmers don't go into this work to make money. They do it because they love it, as the lieutenant governor said. And this, he said, added a little bit of wind back into his sails. And I think, you know, he felt, um, you know, they take great pride in the food that they're producing. And to not be able to produce it or to really produce an inferior product, you know, talking about their customers aren't used to seeing apples with spots and things like that. And, you know, it's really challenging in the current environment to be able to meet the standards that people expect. And that's really hard on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Although I'm just happy that he has apples. Yeah, <laughs> I know yeah. a lot I mean, of our farmer friends so don't. So many again, like we were talking, we were on an orchard earlier this week where the farmer lost basically 99 percent of their crop. You know, like 30 bushels out of what should be thousands. Indeed. And yeah. so, like, I it, it's not as much, but I'm just always happy when somebody got something. <laughs> no, and, and and for sure, I mean, and with this devastation, there have been farms that have been you know, lost everything, others who have lost, you know, parts of what they do or certain crops. And, and frankly, I think that's what makes some of the relief even harder for them to secure because it hasn't necessarily wiped out everything. And I think that's where the farm fund is really able to come into play because we have been able to fill those gaps that the other pools of funds aren't able to cover or the types of expenses that aren't able to be covered, as the lieutenant governor said. And I think this is, you know, we United Way has done an incredible job of getting the money out quickly, but we all agreed together we wanted to make sure these funds could go to the farmers directly and they could decide what to do with them and how to use them for whatever needs they might have. And again, you can learn more about this fund by clicking on the Massachusetts Farm Resiliency Fund logo at NEPM.org. Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll, you mentioned the weather in Lemonster yesterday. Some of the pictures were horrific, huge floods, roads collapsing. It seems like a sad reality that the floods of July 10th are one of what could be multiple events like this going forward into the future. Uh, Governor Healy has mentioned that this fund may be something that will be going forward in the future. Is this something that you anticipate will go beyond uh, you and your administration uh, as in the governor's office? Or, or what's the next phase for getting communities involved in trying to support these farmers? Or... or Will the, will the legislature, will the government of Massachusetts or the federal government be able to step in? You know, our hope is that this resiliency fund will keep going and to think of it almost like a disaster relief effort for farmers and ways that we might actually be able to undertake some future proofing too. Uh, that's going to be a role for everyone. Like the, the fact that the climate crisis is real and it's here means we've got to invest in infrastructure. We've got to invest in dams and culverts. Like there were communities impacted too. Uh, obviously farms were impacted, but this flooding also meant that we wiped out 14 culverts in Conway, like just one example. So we are trying to make uh, investments in not just the relief part of this, that's important. So really grateful we have this fund, we want to keep it up, but this isn't going away. So the future proofing is going to take investment dollars, it may have to take behavioral changes in, in where we plant and how we plant. And we need to work with our farmers and our agricultural community on that as well. So we don't see this fund going away. We think there'll be a need and look forward to working, you know, both with uh, Tim and Megan and folks on the ground to better understand how we adapt to what the needs are. It may not be a flood in, in Western Mass. It may be some uh, freeze that impacts cranberry bro bogs or, you know, uh, another don't, uh, portion, don't say that another now. region. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't say it, right? Yes. It seems like this whole uh, series of funds and grants and, and programs that have evolved are there to build and strengthen a network for exactly that, like disaster relief and and other, you know, accident things to make us a little bit more less prone to to succumb to it. Are there other things that we like after this series of grants and loans are are done, are there other programs that we'd like to bring into the fold to make it even more, for lack of better term, resilient? I mean, I know some of the things Congressman McGovern talked about were we have to really get our arms around crop insurance. It seems to be designed for large corporate farms. It doesn't really work 
uh, for the type of agriculture we have here. I would say that homeowners in, in places like Lemonster and Andover and North Andover, where we've seen major flooding over the last several weeks and just yesterday, um, you know, you may not be in a flood zone, so you're not required to have flood insurance, but you just got flooded. How do we think about our response um, when, uh, when the worst occurs? And what are the guardrails we need to put around that? It's just one example. And I, I'm sure Tim and Megan have others. Tim Garvin from the United Way. So, Lieutenant Governor, fabulous answer. And I think also MDAR is working on all kinds of future. Um, That's future. not a planet from Star Wars. It's the Massachusetts Department of Agricultural Resources. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I think what we've learned and what we probably always knew was that when there is a crisis, first you need to respond, and that's the relief part. Then you need to stabilize, and from stabilize, then you need to support, and from support you want to get to thrive. And as much as I don't know if we're going to call it the farm fund in the future, the idea of this government, business, philanthropy, and community all working together towards whatever crisis there is, and being able to respond and then think, what do we do for the future, is really the way and what the leadership of this the Healy Driscoll administration is doing. And I'm just, I think it's brilliant and I'm just so proud to be part of it. And we thank you for that. And we've got Megan Burke from the Community Foundation Western Mass who wants to weigh in as well. I just wanted to quickly say, I think, you know, I agree with what everyone has said and would just add that as we have done in thinking about how to disperse the funds to farmers through this fund, we have involved farmers in hearing what works for them and how to get the money out to the right places, to the right folks at the time when they need it in a way that doesn't bog them down in paperwork. Involving them in thinking about these longer term solutions is really critical. And things that I've heard is farmers are not in a position to take risks and set aside time to innovate. And so we need to build in the structures and the opportunities for them to have that space and time to think that through. We're going to hear from one of the farmers who received one of the checks in the first round coming up in just a little bit, and we'll have more with Tim Garvin from the United Way of Central Mass and Megan Burke from the Community Foundation of Western Mass. But thank you so much, Lieutenant Governor Kim really Driscoll, appreciate it. for taking the time to support this farm stand where people can learn more about the Massachusetts Farm Resiliency Fund. We'll learn more about some of the specific details and hear from one of those farmers coming up. If you would like to contribute or learn about contributing, you can go and find the link at NEPM. Org. Thank you so much, Lieutenant Governor. And check our social media. Really appreciate it. These efforts at resiliency, you know, everyone's got a seat at the table there. And uh, we're really fortunate to be in a position to help influence that. So appreciate it. Take care, guys. Take Cheers. care. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. See all the stand songs I'm using? Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. We're joined by Tim Garvin, President and CEO of the United Way of Central Mass, and Megan Burke, the President and CEO of the Community Foundation of Western Mass, to talk about the Massachusetts Farm Resiliency Fund. We are calling today Farm Stand, a coordinated day of giving to support the fund started by the Healy Driscoll Administration. You can find out more about the fund at nepm.org. Right now, let's hear from one of the farmers who received the check in the first round. This is my farmer from my CSA at Stone Soup Farm in Hadley. 
Dave DiLorenzo is the owner and operator of uh, Kalisa's Farm, full disclosure, where <laughs> her farm share comes from Stone Soup and Hadley. And while the list of which farms have received this first round of funding through the Farm Resiliency Fund has not yet been made public, we took a, an educated guess that Stone Soup, which we know was inundated, would be one of the recipients of those checks. And Dave is on the road doing his farming stuff uh, as we speak. Tell us when you received, or if and when you received a check, Dave. I think it was last week. Um, it was really fast. I filled out a really simple form online, and I think the way they broke it down was that if your losses were under ten thousand, they would give you a check for that amount that you specified, and if it was over ten thousand, they would give you a check for ten thousand, which is what I got because our the value of the crops that uh, were lost in the flood was probably over a hundred thousand dollars. What does this ten thousand dollar check mean to a, a relatively small? locally owned independent farm in Hadley that's lost $100,000 due to the floodings of July. Well, that so that's my estimation of the value of the crops that were lost, like mm -hmm. if they were sold. But it's a little different for us because it's a CSA, so uh, it's not necessary. It's not the same as like lost income. Right. You know, it's, it's not crops that we were going to wholesale or retail at a farmer's market or something like that. So our income for the year is actually similar to what it would be because we already sold these CSA shares. We're doing our winter shares, which we'll have to do less of, and we'll have to um, like buy in some crops from other farms. So not everything was killed in the flood. It was about 80% probably of our crops for the year. So we still have some left, and then I've been able to replant some new stuff. Yeah, I'll use the money to buy crops from neighbors to supplement our CSA share. For those who don't know about the way the farm share works, it really is basically uh, an insurance policy for farmers where you, at the beginning of the season, say, I'm going to give you money almost no matter what happens this farming season. You know, just like in the stock market, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. And maybe mm -hmm. this year's farm share CSA wasn't as good as you were hoping for when you invested in it. That being said, it will help farms like Stone Soup and Hadley make it through the year when you invest in them in advance. And then additionally with this farm resiliency fund. And frankly, shameless plug, like the share has still been pretty generous <laughs> despite the fact that you've had to go through a lot to try and fill it out. So I'm glad that you have that fallback <laughs> and I haven't really been disappointed with what we've gotten. Yeah, having the CSA model is, is hugely helpful. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we would be able to survive if that was actually lost income, the like loss of the crops. We're speaking with Dave DiLorenzo, who is the farmer at Stone Soup Farm in Hadley. Are there any lingering effects on your farm from those July 10th floods? Our field flooded about 80 percent, and it's, it's, it's kind of like a bowl shape. So the stuff that was lower in the field stayed flooded for a long time, and those crops totally dead. The stuff that's a little higher up on the edges was only flooded for a short time, and once the water went down after like two days, looked pretty normal and in theory could have probably been harvested and, and eaten like is carrots, tomatoes, potatoes, like a lot of pretty nice looking stuff. But because of unknown contaminants in the flood water, it was recommended by state agencies that all none of that stuff should be harvested or eaten. So it was all plowed in and is now just all cover crop. I planted oats and peas. And so right now it's all just like a really nice lush cover crop, which normally at this time of year, there'd still be a lot of crops. We, we would have cover crops part of the field. but So that's one effect is right now it's all cover cropped. We can plant it next year because all the bacterial, potential bacterial contaminants and stuff will be gone by then. So I guess a lingering effect would be we, we will probably have increased fertility next year. Like planting that cover crop is good for the soil. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so they're hopefully, if we can avoid other future ecological disasters, it could be a banner year, but I don't almost want I don't want to curse it. <laughs> well, I mean, this is related slightly different. You know, like this morning and yesterday we've been harvesting, so we've been able to borrow um, some land from Ray Young at Next Barn Over in Hadley. Mm. And it's it's really awesome. People have been so generous, you know, on Mountain View Farm, like places that in theory should be our competitors, you know, but they're just really generous, really want to help, like letting us harvest their crops, letting us use some of their land. Some of the stuff we planted at next on a next barn overfield was actually hit by hail over the weekend. Wow. Oh, no. Uh, really, really heavy rain and some hail. So like a lot of the new stuff we planted, I mean, a lot of it's fine, but there was like really uh, a, a lot of like lettuce, Swiss chard, softer stuff like that, uh, spinach that got totally you know, destroyed. And that was just a few days ago. And that was the new stuff we planted after the flood on different land. Oh, no. So it's good that I think that this Farm Resiliency Fund may last past this season. That seems to be what the governor and office is, is indicating. Do you expect yeah. that, that you'll get another check from this Farm Resiliency Fund? The goal from them is to raise $5 million, part of which is what we're trying to encourage people to learn about and perhaps donate today. Oh, that's great. I, I actually don't know about that. Um, I know that there's also this, the, the state of mass is maybe going to be doing some grants that I, th I think that that's actually open for applications right now, the state fund, mm -hmm. but I, I need to look into that. I haven't applied yet. Do you plan to, to apply for the second round of resiliency fund grants when they're available? Yeah. Yay. <laughs> that's what they're there for. <laughs> it's true. Dave DiLorenzo from Stone Soup Farm, whose farm was covered 80% by the floods, who's one of the recipients of those first round of $10,000 checks from the Farm Resiliency Fund. Thanks so much for sharing some of your story with us today. On such short notice. Yeah. Yeah, great talking to you. Thanks. We had Tim Garvin from the United Way of Central Mass and Megan Burke from the Community Foundation of Western Mass listening in to that chat and nodding along there. So, Tim Garvin, uh, we've heard about the first round of checks. Uh, Dave DiLorenzo received one. Uh, was there a unified number that went out to everybody? Tell us about that first round. Sure. I think David um, actually said it perfectly. For anybody that listed uh, that their losses were under $10,000, they got the amount of their loss. For anybody above, they got $10,000. We wanted to do an equal amount across the board. We actually distributed 214 checks. That was more than we initially expected. We had heard 100 farms. Um, but I think really the point of what you're doing today is, as proud as I think we feel about what we've already done, we know the loss is still much greater. And when Dave talks about, you know, what's the future going to look like? And it might be a fertile crop, but we don't know. And to say that he just lost more crops over right. the weekend because of the hail. Because right. of hail. Yeah. Um, we want to get to $5 million. We're at $3.2 million today, Ooh. which is great. Um, we've given away $2 million, um, but So that still means we have a ways to go. The other thing I would say, and then, Megan, I'll turn it over to you, is every single possible person who can say, my $5, my $10, my $52, my $500, my $1,000, it all adds up. We have close to 700 donors, 700 donors from $5 to a million dollars who have given $3.2 million. That's incredible. Yeah. It's a huge spread. You can learn more about this fund by going to NEPM.org and clicking on the Farm Resiliency Fund logo. Uh, Megan Burke from the Community Foundation of Western Mass, which I've called the Do Good Illuminati on this show before, <laughs> which manages funds from, um, from philanthropical folks. And sometimes they keep their names uh, out anonymous so that, you know, these funds can be managed for all these good 
good things apart from just the Farm Resiliency Fund. Tell us about your role, your involvement, and and the people whose funds you're managing involvement in this. Yeah, I'm happy to. So um, last time I was on the show, I think I mentioned at the time that uh, the Community Foundation itself, out of what we call foundation-directed funds, which are those funds that folks maybe donate to us that are unrestricted for us to figure out how to use, um, we contributed $25,000 to the fund. And we did that because we thought it was incredibly important to support the farmers, but we also wanted to set an example and to show others our fund holders, folks who invest in us and have their own funds that they can direct, that this was an important fund to contribute to and, and really an important issue in our community. So for folks who don't know, Community Foundation of Western Mass covers Franklin County, Hampshire County, Hamden County, and I think we all know that these floods hit all three of those counties really, really hard. And so to say, this is an important issue in our community, we're stepping up, we want you to step up too. Now, as Monty alluded to, some of our donors are a little bit anonymous and don't always <laughs> reveal themselves and don't even let necessarily let us know always what they're doing, but we're always there to fulfill their wishes and make sure the funds get to the right place. So I'm not going to be able to give a lot of specifics right now, but I would say that there has really been an outpouring of support. We know it has come from all pockets and corners of Franklin County, Hampshire County, Hamden County. We've seen contributions coming in from outside the state, folks who perhaps have some connection to Massachusetts and recognize the value of the funds. Um, and we've definitely seen some of our own fund holders contributing to the fund because they see the value of it and think it's important. That doesn't mean the job's done. We've, we've already heard, as Tim pointed out, we have a goal of $5 million and we think, honestly, like, that will be really, really meaningful to farmers, but it's not too much because there's a whole lot of need out there. So we really need to keep them coming. And frankly, the job will never be done. Like there's going to be, I, I, I hesitate to say this because we're avoiding it, but like there's going to be disasters. There's going to be call for this in the future. So like having this here as something we can support to give out support to local agriculture is just going to be continue to be important. And if I can just quickly add, too, I mean, I think the point that we heard from the farmer that we just heard from is there's also an enormous amount of collaboration and cooperation among farmers. And I think that's really important, too, to think about this resiliency and how this collaboration among farmers with philanthropy, with the United Way, with business and government, we all need to be in this together because as these disasters continue to happen, we can't be on our back feet, you know, waiting and, and not being proactive enough to get the money out there as quickly as we can. It's worth noting that it is the government who initiated this fund with philanthropic organizations, with foundations. This day of giving, the coordinated day of giving, I will give a shout out to our uh, resident pizzaiolo pizza maestro who has come on our pizza questing on this show with us before, Mark Latanzi. So he was he used to work for CISA, Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture. He worked with both Kalise and I at our former radio station, and he knew that this community was very generous and would want to do something and give at the same time. So he called the folks at 93.9 The River, our alma mater, Joan Holiday, and more there. He called me. He called CISA and Claire Morneau, uh, who are part of this. He called Jim Olson from Signature Sounds in the Green River Festival. Um, and he now works for Wayfinders, which is a great organization in and of itself that's helping people and encouraged us to do something all together. So all day on 93.9 The River, there have been businesses who have stepped up as well to say they wanted to participate in this. So there's over $20,000 in matches from a variety of businesses who stepped forward 
I'll just give them a quick rundown. Northeast Solar, Greenfield Savings Bank, Kern and Keegan, Real Pickles, Tommy Carr, PV Square, Dean's Beans, Greenfield and Northampton Cooperative Banks. All of these organizations and the Community Foundation have all stepped forward and said this is important to us in the same way the governor's office said this is important to us in the same way the United Way has said it, in the same way the Community Foundation has said it, in the same way we say it on the fabulous 413. So if you would like to participate in this, you can find out more information by going to NEPM.org and clicking on the Farm Resiliency Fund logo, which will take you directly to the information page about what to do. I also say that I know, Tim, you've been to like 10 Bruce Springsteen concerts in the last week and uh, went to go see the Eagles. We were going to do a, a farm aid style show, but it seemed more beneficial getting advice from people like Jim Olson from Signature Sound saying, no, maybe just talking on the radio to people about the importance of this will be enough. So people have been donating even today, Tim, right? Yes. In fact, um, on and I know it's happening through the radio stations, and we've heard the list you just said, 10000 or $20,000 matched. Um, Online, and while I've been sitting here, four more onlines, we're up close to $3,000, anything from $6 to $500. And we just love seeing that because what it says, not only that people are philanthropic, people are generous, it says we care about our farms and our farmers and our land. And this isn't going to be the first time, and we're going to be here for each other. Tell us about what's next with this fund. We know that the goal is for $5 million. We know you've already given out over $2 million, more or less. And what's the next round for farmers here? The 200 plus, right? So I I think there are three things. One is we continue our fundraising. That's what we're doing today. The second is there are a bunch of events. This is one. Um, The Big Y has a bag for sale. The Big E is coming up and opening on Friday. All the big vowels are getting involved. (laughs) I don't know about a big A and a big I, but we got it. (laughs) But what about the big U, listener? Oh, Oh, I couldn't resist. Nice. (laughs) So um, the goal is to continue to keep this in, in front of mind of people, talking with real farmers, raise, get to that $5 million, and our small um, working group, which includes CISA, and we have to give them a huge shout-out. Community involved in sustaining agriculture is such an important element of the entire Pioneer Valley of all of Western Massachusetts and truly all of Massachusetts. They are extraordinary, and we love them. We're trying to figure out what is that round two going to look like? How are we going to be able to help farmers when, in fact, the need is so much greater? Even if we get to $5 million, that means we'll have $3 million more to give out, and there are more than 200 farms that are looking for requests. That's going to be complicated and challenging for us, but I know we'll do a great job. Megan? And I would just add, I think we're keeping a couple of principles in mind. One, any farm that didn't know about the first round and didn't get anything, they will be able to come in and identify their need and, and we'll consider them in the second round. So they didn't miss the boat. And then I think the second principle is we really want to understand the remaining needs that folks have that are unlikely to be met with funds from the state. So, you know, we've we've heard from the lieutenant governor. We know the state has really stepped up too and in starting this fund, but also in allocating some funding, $20 million. It is restricted. It didn't come as fast, but it will be coming out there. And so we would like the second round to fill those gaps that that money can't fill. Figuring out how to do that is a little bit complicated, and so we're still working on it, and we're looking for advice, and so we're definitely, 
you know, getting the word out, hearing from farmers again, hearing what people think is the best way to do this. We want it to be simple. We want it to be transparent. We want to make sure we're being consistent with everybody. But in the second round, we want to make sure that the funds folks receive are commensurate with their need. It doesn't mean it's going to cover everything, but it is going to be more proportionate. So folks who have greater need are likely to get greater amounts of money. Can't say the amount. We don't know how much we've raised yet. But if people donate today, and I say if you like to eat, you should support the farmers. Are you worried about the fund holding out until the the state Senate's grant system kicks in? We've talked about that a lot. And um, because we've used the principles of nimble, strategic, rapid, we recognize we will probably come out with our criteria before the state gets their funding out. And we actually talked about a timeline. And, and the timeline is we expect this fund, as far as collecting money, will end in the middle of October. And at that same time, we'll get the criteria out for what we're looking for. In fact, and I think it was Megan who said this, and it was also the lieutenant governor, we didn't even call it an application. We called it a registration. We didn't want anybody to think, oh my gosh, I have to fill out 10 pages and give every single documentation. We wanted it to be easy for every farm and farmer. It was um, great to see your reaction when uh, Stone Soup said the application process was easy. It looked affirming to both of you who have been <laughs> working so hard to make it easy. Yeah. And it's worth noting that I believe, if I'm correct, you are, are on a, like a weekly call with all of the involved partners to try to figure out this because it's you're building a plane in the air, right? And other yes. partners that are involved? Um, I, I have to just – we didn't even know each other before. Megan and, Burke from Community Foundation, Tim Garvin from the United and Way of Phil Central Mass. and Kristen and Commissioner um, Randall. Randall yeah. And our our Monday calls, we get really good work done. We smile, we laugh, we hear about trips and music <laughs> and pets, and it's it's what a team is. And when when the lieutenant governor and the governor talk about Team Massachusetts, I think I think what we have done is a perfect representation of Team Massachusetts. I agree. And sometimes we're doing it as we're dropping our kids off at camp or at kindergarten, <laughs> as the case may be, or picking up the, the dog from the walk. But we get it done. And I think this is how it works for lots of people. So that happens every Monday. And that's a, sort of the small group. And, and we're really grappling right now with how to do round two. And then every two weeks, we, we, we sit down together over Zoom with a much bigger group that does include other you know, uh, businesses, foundations, farmers, others within Western Mass to really get the perspective on what's happening here, to get their input. Um, and, and that is not a closed group. It's, it's, it's inclusive. We welcome folks to join that conversation to offer their thoughts and input because we want to make sure we have everybody's thoughts on the table. How do people get involved in that conversation if this is something that they are interested in participating in, if they do have a good idea about um, what the next round I, could I'm going like? to do what I should never, ever, ever do. You're going to get your phone number out on the radio? Don't do my it. Email. Okay, my fine, email. Fine, my email. Yeah. My work email. That there we go. <laughs> um, for any listener that wishes to get involved who has a great idea, who wants to join that every other Tuesday call, my work email is tim.garvin, G-A-R-V as in victory, I-N, at unitedwaycm.org. Or you can just email us at the fab 413 yes. at org, and I'll, I'll connect you. And yep. if you wanted to learn more about this fund, you can go to our website, nepm.org, and click on a link for the Farm Resiliency Fund. 
to the lieutenant governor who left a little bit earlier in the conversation, a thank you once again to Megan Burke, the president and CEO of the Community Foundation of Western Mass, and to Tim Garvin, the president and CEO of the United Way of Central Mass. All three of those organizations, along with other partners, are putting this Farm Resiliency Fund together, getting those checks out there and thinking about how to best support our farmers. Thank you so much for giving us some insights. <laughs> we, we have to thank you also. This is tremendous. I don't know if you're allowed to thank us. On We're allowed radio. to thank you. We are. We're okay. allowed to thank you. This We're is fabulous. <laughs> fabulous in the 413. We appreciate the shameless plug. We do. We do. All right. Today, the Springfield primaries and up next, the NEPM News Department's Adam Frenier is giving us a rundown of the candidates for mayor. We still have a couple of hours to get in and vote. You're listening to the fabulous 413 on NEPM. One that's done all the things you set out to do. There's a cross for you to bear. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. It's preliminary election day and Springfield voters like me are casting ballots for mayor and for city council at large. You can read much more about the candidates and their positions on the issues at NEPM.org. But here to give us an election rundown is the NEPM News Department's Adam Frenier. Let's start by you telling us who the candidates in Springfield for mayor are. Well, Cleese, it's the longest-serving mayor in Springfield's history, Dominic Sarno, who was first elected in 2007. He's running for another four-year term, and he's facing probably one of the more vigorous challenges he's faced in his time in office. You have two city councilors, Justin Hurst and Jesse Letterman. Letterman is the city council president. You have a former city councilor and now state representative in Orlando Ramos, and you have a psychotherapist in David Champy. So it's a field of five that will be reduced to two tonight, and the two finalists will move on to November's general election. I feel like I should disclose that Letterman is literally my neighbor. He's uh, on the corner of my street. Yeah, and you voted, but you don't have to say who you voted no, for. No, I'm so not going no to say. No further disclosure is no. necessary there. <laughs> um, Adam Frenier, though, we have been accidentally, uh, interchangeably using the words primary and preliminary, and I'm sure it's confusing for other people, too. I bet our word nerd from Merriam-Webster will say <laughs> it really doesn't matter, but it does. The it specifics does. do matter. Can you tell us the difference between why this is a preliminary but not a primary? Well, it's a nonpartisan election, as most municipal elections are in Massachusetts. So it's a preliminary is used to reduce the field like we're doing today in Springfield. A primary like we would see in a congressional race or even like they do in Connecticut, where the local races are partisan, that's a party primary. But in this case, it's just a preliminary. It's an exercise to, to shrink the field. And it doesn't matter what party you belong to. It's just taking five candidates and, and cutting the list down to two. So voter turnout in general across America is pretty terrible and in Springfield has been dismal. How has that looked in recent years? Are we expecting a better turnout this year because there's so many candidates? What's it looking like? Well, some of the candidates are hoping for a better turnout, especially the challengers from talking to their campaigns. They're hoping that more people turn out than usual. Over the past three preliminary elections, when there's been a mayoral race on the ballot, you're talking 7% a couple of times and maybe a little closer to 10% just over that. And in real numbers, that's in many cases less than 10,000 people in a city of 155,000. So turnout's really been... Uh, quite slow in these preliminaries. We're, we're waiting some official word to see what things looked like today. I do know that as of the end of the day Thursday, there were about 1,600 voters who had cast ballots earlier through mail. So uh, I think that's a big number to watch tonight as the ballots are being counted to see what ends up happening. 
That's terrifying and terrible. Well, you know, I was a little bit inspired. Like 1,600 people, 10% in well, advance, no, no, early just, voting. Okay, yes, but like that's 1% of, of the, the city's population yeah. for early voting, and we're looking at maybe between 7 and 10 for total voting. That's Springfield voters might just love to vote on election day. Um, Adam Frenier from the NEPM News Department, mayor is not the only thing on the ballot in Springfield today, right? That's correct. There's a... Huge, and I don't even recall ever seeing a field like this in the time I've been covering politics locally. 21 candidates for city council at large. I have to say it was genuinely overwhelming to see the full list of candidates going into my polling center. Yeah, I can imagine they had to spend a lot of money on extra paper and ink. Or really tiny I was really worried that there were some on the back and I was missing it. <laughs> but what they'll do there is they'll cut the 21 down to 10. For November, and then the top five from that t- uh, those ten finalists will end up being city councilors at large. And one thing to keep in mind is, with Justin Hurst and Jesse Letterman both running for mayor, they did not run for uh, their respective city council seats. So the council will have a bit of a different look uh, going into next year. Oh, I was wondering about that. Yeah, so <laughs> that will be an interesting one way or the other. However, that turns out there are going to be a couple of other preliminaries uh, in the area coming up in the future, right, Adam? That's right, Monty. In Pittsfield, they'll hold their preliminary next week. Uh, Mayor Linda Tyre there opted not to seek a third term. So you have three candidates there to uh, become two before the general election. Then in Agawam, the incumbent there, Bill Sapelli, also opted against another term. And uh, they'll have their preliminary in early October. And uh, they, too, will reduce their field to two. And then when we get to November, there's going to be a number of mayoral races all over Western Massachusetts. Some communities only had two candidates, so they didn't have to go through the preliminary process. And in uh, places like Greenfield and Agawam, or places like Greenfield, Chicopee, North Adams, for instance, Westfield, too, just two candidates for mayor on the ballot, so they go right to November. There is an NEPM online voter guide. If you haven't voted yet, you can check that out at NEPM.org. And there will be results up tonight at NEPM.org. Uh, thanks for all your hard work, Adam Frenier, and the whole news department. I know Elizabeth Roman has spent so much time translating so much of this I know. into Spanish, so it really warms my Shout heart out to her. how much Absolutely. hard work you're doing uh, to make this happen for voters in Springfield, especially today. Thank you so much, NEPM's Adam Frenier. Well, Check out NEPM.org tonight for all those results. Thank you, Monty. Thank you, Khalees. And I know Elizabeth is looking forward to the uh, traditional pizza in the newsroom on election night. I didn't even know about that. I'm psyched about that now. Stick around. <laughs> oh, I have to. Well, I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413. Unless you're standing in a farm. Be